Welcome to the first podcast from Optimum Focus. Hi, my name is Angela Coley and I'm one of the directors of Optimum Focus Company Limited, which is a coaching and project management company that provides services in the private and public sectors. I'm an experienced personal performance and corporate executive coach, working with individuals and companies to achieve their goals and objectives. I also deliver mentoring training programs and offer consultancy to established mentoring groups. Hi, I'm Natalie Coley. I'm one of the directors of Optimum Focus Company Limited and Project and Programme Manager. Most of the projects that I deliver are IT and or business transformation led, and I've worked with many different clients over the years, successfully managing large scale projects and programmes, mostly within the financial services sector. And today we've decided to talk about pain and loss. In terms of dealing with pain and loss, we can look at it from a number of perspectives. We can look at it from the perspective of losing somebody in death. Uh, We could take it another step further, looking at it within the context of relationships too. Um, And I think really the exploration of this topic is in terms of how we deal with it, how our, maybe how our mindsets, uh, the things that are going on for us generally, influence the way that we handle things our coping strategies how we manage it maybe if we look at look at the death scenario losing somebody through death what what are your thoughts so so my 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 take on that is if we were educated as to the reality of death Mm. we would have a completely different perspective on it and we would have a different way of dealing with it. So it's not to say that we wouldn't feel the pain or we wouldn't feel the loss, but we would be very practical about it. And even though the emotions might still be paramount, I believe we would have a better control of the emotions so that instead of feeling a complete, total overwhelming feeling of not being able to cope, I think we would know how to cope because we would have those strategies intact. We would have been educated to the reality of, of death. So you mean in the sense of looking at that from school, from school age, sort of introducing that to, to young people in schools? And um, I guess in that context, what age would you start? When would be an appropriate age to start? talking about death when it's it actually educationally it's a setting to prepare you for what you're going to become mm-hmm. um i think the earlier that you start the educational process the better mm. obviously it would have to be uh tailored to the specific age group so what you might teach a, a primary school child would be quite different from what you would be teaching a secondary school age child However, the important thing that needs to be translated is the reality of death. The fact that, you know, it's something that we are all going to face at some stage or another. Mm. If we were more comfortable with it, I think it's, I think we still, you know, most of us still think of death in that sort of like unknown, um, you know, it comes under the aspect of of the unknown and we're not comfortable, we're not comfortable with it. And because it's such a, a reality, it, to me it's something that we should 
we should be able to really deal with differently from how you know from how we actually take it on mm. um i feel that I feel that we 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 still we still distance ourselves from death as though it it doesn't happen to us, mm. and we still there's always that element of shock or even if or if somebody's ill and will die you know like why me or yeah. you know so it's it's almost like there's 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 this disconnection, and I feel that there needs to be there has to be something to close that gap so that we really have a an understanding of the reality and an acceptance that it is something that will touch all of us. Um, you know, initially in terms of maybe people dying around us or ourselves might, you know, we might be facing our own impending death. And, and I think that, I, I do believe that you can be educated to be able to take that on board and deal with it in a far more comfortable, realistic way. Mm-hmm, I, think that's, I think that's a good point. I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just thinking of a friend that I had that, you know, had, had, had lost a loved one. So this would have been at school age time. And mm-hmm. one of the difficulties that they had was in the reaction of their schoolmates, mm-hmm. not really knowing what to say to them. Yeah. to help them through that because you're not told what to say what's the right thing to say I mean at you know 12, 13, 14, 15 you're not thinking about writing a condolence card That's right. or saying to somebody if there's anything I could do mm-hmm. let me know you just don't know sometimes I think for young people like you say that they're not educated around it mm. don't know what to say right and how and do you not think that that really is quite it's wrong it's wrong for people to have to struggle to know what to say. So then, going back to your point on introducing the notion of death mm-hmm. to, to young people, be it in schools, mm-hmm. um, how would that subject be broached? I mean, this is an environment typically where you're telling or trying to teach people, teach young children, to that they've got their whole life ahead of them, mm-hmm. so much to look forward to. Uh, could that then symbolise or signal a, some sort of loss of control? Because I think, you know, there's, you'd have to say that children are very uh, sharp and quite perceptive. Mm-hmm. That if they are able to understand that, hey, I may not even be around for that long mm-hmm. or I could lose a loved one any time, mm-hmm. how would that then signal the control of, of young people within the school environment? Because you, you have no idea the impact that could have. I think the adaptability of children, the flexibility of children, the understanding of children is very high. I think that it's higher than when we actually become uh, more limited and rigid when we get older. Uh, but with young children, they can take on new information and process it in a way that can teach us as adults mm. a lot. Yeah. Um, in terms of how you would translate death on from from an educational perspective, I can't at this point say you know how I think that should be or could be done because I haven't in all honesty given it consideration, but like any uh education that you're you're translating to children 
it is about putting something together, coming up with a plan, thinking about what it is that you actually want to get across and how you're going to do it and what likely or what sort of outcomes that you're looking for. So there would be a process in what you're doing. And like I said earlier, it would have to be tailor-made to and, and child and age appropriate, mm. right? Um, I think that... Uh, kind of lost the question that you asked no so no i think that that's a good point it would have to be tailor-made i don't think you could just decide because every child is different mm. um and you could be explaining something like that to a child who is going through that and they mm -hmm. could really be deeply or more more affected mm -hmm. just by the bringing up of the subject so mm. but i also take your point as well that they are adaptable and they can take on more and i you have to try and recall as a young person yourself. I think a frustrating thing for children, young people, is when they assume, well, when it's assumed that they can't, they're too young to deal with something or mm -hmm. they won't understand. Mm -hmm. um, so that can marginalise children by keeping them that protected from things mm -hmm. that are a reality. But, and then the other, the other, what just came into mind is faith. Mm. Um, for some people... That isn't the explanation. I mean, the explanation is given through a, from a faith perspective. And I don't know whether that's easier or more difficult. I, I really don't know. Um, but perhaps there could be elements that could be taken from a faith perspective and put within a, a more educational, less faith perspective focus, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So you can take something from the faith element and put it into the school educational process. Well, that gets very interesting, then, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Once you start to border on religion mm -hmm. and faith, yeah. then... It, it becomes more becomes, complex. Yeah. yeah, it becomes more complex. But then I think what I'm trying to say, and maybe I'm not necessarily um, saying it very clearly, but I think what I'm trying to say is that when you introduce faith to young people, right, you introduce it... From the, if you have faith yourself, you will take your children to church and so forth from a very early, from babies perhaps, you know, and they grow up in the church environment. And that means that they're open to hearing all the, you know, the different religious stories and, 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 um, and, and so forth. They, this is what they're exposed to from a very early age. So whether it's about brimstone and fire or whether it's, you know, specific biblical stories, these little children are exposed to them mm. from a very young age. So why can't the aspect of death or the reality of death be included in that in a very open way so that the children will receive it just as they would receive any other educational um, literature or information being um, translated to them? And that's that's where I'm coming from. I, I just I, I just feel that it's really important that it's seen to be something that is real, inevitable, natural, expected. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the outcome for all of us. It's just the timing. Nobody knows when when you know when they're going to die. Unless they're you know on death row or something like that. You know, nobody knows that date of death or but we all to some extent know it, it will happen but we don't do we know that really or do we or should, or should we know it but do we believe it do we believe that it will happen and if when we're told that something is wrong with us 
we're we're still shocked. You know, we're I shocked if it's somebody else. I don't else. think you're ever prepared, really. Yeah. I, I think. But do you think you could be prepared, Destiny? See, is I I agree with you. I don't think that we're ever prepared. But my question then would be, do you think it's possible for us to be prepared? Yes, I, broadly speaking, yes, I do. Mm. But I very much think the way you are going to handle it is where you're at at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all have moments in our own personal lives where when you're feeling quite strong and focused, mm -hmm. things that come your way, you're kind of quite well equipped to deal with it. It may not be what you want to deal with, but you can deal with it much better than if you're in a lower cycle. Mm -hmm. You just can't really take any more. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on, on where your mind is at. But I think you're right. I think because you're not educated on it, it still just always feels like the shock. So mm -hmm. even in, the, in, in relation to your father, my grandfather, mm -hmm. we knew he was elderly. Mm -hmm. We knew that his health wasn't as it, you know, it was, it was deteriorating. Mm -hmm. But it was still a shock. Mm -hmm. Because you just think, oh my goodness. Because it may be because of not just the loss of the person, but the loss of that era mm -hmm. and all the things that are symbolised by them. Yeah. As, it's, it's big, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then some people will say, like, you know, in terms of an elderly person, your grandfather, um, they may say, well, he had a good innings. I mean, after all, he was like you know, nearly 90 years old and so forth. So... You know, he's had, he, he had a good time and he wasn't so well and this, that and the other. And even and what is actually being said is literally part of the explanation that could have been given in the first instance in terms of if you're explaining death. So death comes to us when we get past a certain age, we're more likely to face death because we can't live forever. That's the truth, that's the reality. So when you get to a certain age where you become more feeble... Um, then you will find that, you know, you will know that death is very much a reality. Mm. And as little children do understand that. Middle-aged people understand that. But notice that normally you're away from it yourself because... The, the, but then I think when you get to that age yourself, then you probably could, for some people, still struggle to accept that you're now within that group of people. Mm that would realistically be facing death. It's very much a reality. So if you've lived a certain period of time, it's very much a reality. I think what is more difficult to explain, perhaps, is the randomness of, of death that could come from accident, ill health, deliberate murder, you know, from other other methods that you probably would have to think very, very carefully about how you kind of translated that to a, a very young person. Um, the randomness of, or the possibility of sudden death or, uh, you know. So that's an interesting one then, isn't it? So we can, we can accept educationally that somebody passing away through illness mm -hmm. and or being elderly is something that would almost be like a, a, a stage of life. Mm -hmm. But in the case where you lose somebody to a random, violent, heinous act, mm -hmm. could you ever be prepared for that? Because the, obviously the circumstances are going to differ. Mm -hmm. 
and I, you know, it's a funny thing. You kind of know your mindset without knowing an experience necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think it must be extremely difficult for somebody that lost has lost somebody in a very violent mm-hmm. way to not replay the events mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. so that it almost supersedes the existence of the person because mm-hmm. all you're thinking about was how they spent the last yeah. moments. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, because you're going into a different, you're going on different territory yeah. there. Now that's different terrain that you're going on. That I think it would be exceptionally difficult to explain that. Apart from being very pragmatic or being being very practical in knowing that you know if you have a world that has billions of people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is is that you know we're not all going to meet or end peacefully in a bed mm. um we're not all going to have an illness that we lie in a hospital bed and fade away and so forth there are going to be incidents where people get run over by a bus or you know um, may ju- even people killing themselves and jumping in front that's a whole nother topic there right um so there's going to be things that or ways of people dying that are more difficult to explain um, to a young child. However, practically speaking, we know that when you're looking at the, you know, the ratio of, you know, the amount of people that will die naturally and the amount of people that will die by accident or, or die by foul play or whatever like that, that is part of the explanation. Mm. That is part of the explanation because we can't choose, we don't have a choice. And and interestingly enough, it's almost like I just it just came to my mind just now. I just thought of like when you teach a child to play a game, like Monopoly, let's say, and you're going around a board, just a board game, and you're going around that board and encountering different situations. Um, one of them being that you can go straight to jail yeah. without passing go and so forth like that. A child will understand that when they're playing that game, and they will understand that they don't want them, they don't they don't want that to happen, but that sometimes it does, sometimes it does happen, and that they do get through that. So that might be a way. When you asked earlier about how would you teach children, perhaps you would use a method, like a a, a type of board game to be able to kind of show the randomness of things that can happen to people and how what strategies can be put in place when you face certain situations, when you face ill health, which could be your own or, you know, somebody close to you or whatever. How What strategies can you draw on to help you come to terms with the reality of the situation? Yeah. So that you... Because you see more of the effort is probably required to work with the person that is ill and dying or the person that, do you know what I mean? Rather than necessarily focusing on yourself as to, because if it hasn't happened to you, then you're not actually having to deal with the death yourself. You're actually having to deal with the loss. Yes. Yes. You see? So it's like different strategies for each situation. And I uh, and I actually now that we're discussing this, I actually think that we could use something like a game, the game of life, mm-hmm. right? The game of the game of life could be the game of life and death, yeah. because they're both synonymous with each other, yeah. So that could be a way of of 
explaining, obviously you would need to kind of feed a lot more information and, and strategy and so forth into it. Um, but I think that that could be quite an effective way to deal with it. Mm. You know? That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. So, moving slightly further from the, the notion of death in terms of the loss of a life, the loss of a person, you can look at dealing with pain and loss from the perspective of a relationship mm-hmm. because that too almost can feel like a death when it comes mm-hmm. to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people would actually prefer to deal with a death <laughs> than to deal <laughs> with the loss of a relationship. Yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that is? I think the, the, I think the finality of death once you come to terms with that, because you know there's no going back, you can't change anything, you can't, you can't rewind, you can't rewind anything anyway, but with death, it's an ending, and it's a permanent ending, yeah, it's not temporary, it's a permanent ending, so you have to, at some point, let it go, yeah, with a relationship, the person's still living, yeah. And Perhaps. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless they've died yeah. as well. And the feelings in one party or the other may still be very much alive. Mm. Yeah. And for, you know, there's always, uh, 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 in a relationship, there's always one party that is more affected mm. by the loss of the relationship than the other. Um, the person that is calling it, obviously, <laughs> they're doing that from a position of strength. The person that's receiving it, that's completely different. So now they're in a position of being the weaker party, right? Um, and I think the fact that the person is still there, still around, still, everything's still very tangible. It's much more, it's much more difficult to, to kind of, let it go if you don't want to. If, it's, if that's not what you want, there is really going to be a struggle. And again, if you don't have the strategies to deal with that type of loss or to know how to let go of something that no longer serves you, if you don't have those strategies in play, there is going to be a lot of pain and suffering and emotional turmoil that has to be experienced before things sink into place. So would you say that the ending of a relationship, in a sense, teaches both parties a lot about themselves and how they are, or because you're really getting to see the naked truth there, aren't you? Mm -hmm. When it comes to an end, they always say about people showing their true colours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm even the stuff you, you don't want to see mm-hmm. both sides yeah I think well I think both parties can behave very badly um, because I, you know I think and I don't want to talk from personal experience or anything but I think that you know if you just think of two people that are breaking up so I come to you and I've decided I want to end a relationship yeah so I would have my reasons for wanting to end a relationship I might have met somebody else or I'm just I've just had enough of you or whatever it is you know so I'm ending the relationship it may not be what you want 
So your response to what I'm saying is not going to be a positive one. And so my response to your response now is probably going to be negative as well. So now we see that, you know, we've now got two, some dynamics going on here and it's, you know, it's, it's almost going to be an explosion because I've asked for something, you don't want it, you're responding negatively to me, which brings a negative response from me and so forth. So now you've got like, you've, I just think of a pot boiling over with anger and frustration and all sorts of different things are going on. Um, for you now, you're perhaps quite angry that I want to end things with you. So I'm actually going to change your world, which is a bit like what death, do, do, what death does. But it's a different, this is different because I'm not dead. Um, so, but I'm going to, I'm going to be changing your world by what I want to change in terms of ending our relationship. So then in, you know, what is the best way? To end a relationship? Well, no, to deal with the end. Of to, de to deal with the end of a relationship. But, you know, we'd all like to think that we're very mature and that we're very cultured and that, you know, we're very understanding and that we have the ability to communicate and we could be very sophisticated about it. But the reality is, is that when it's not something you want, you may even surprise yourself mm. with the display of bad behaviour that you could, um, that will come out of you. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it can be really, really difficult. Having said that, you know, on the positive side, you, have, you do have situations where people come to an agreement, where they are able to be uh, communicating in a very adult and, and um, you know, sophisticated way. Yeah, and I think that should always be the aspiration. That's right. It should be. And it should like be, you said, yes. It doesn't always work that way, mm -hmm. but that should be the aspiration. Yeah. And I think uh, if it's about, much with death, it's about acceptance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And how you get to that point. Yeah. I always think, I don't know if it's always practical for that to happen, but it's always, I think, better to, take, to be able to take a step back. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not sort of engage in tit-for-tat or... Uh, behavior that's going to sort of inflame that mm -hmm. if you can just take a step back take some time out it might mean that for an ending of a relationship it might be that the two of you are best not living in the same space mm -hmm. or that you agree an arrangement where you're minimally in, e in each other's presence mm -hmm. um, depends whether you have children or whatever in that environment so the practicalities of that would need to be worked mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. But a lot of things you could do, I think, to diffuse things mm -hmm. and try to deal with it in a way where you accept it and you are trying to move on from it. Because mm -hmm. your life doesn't have to stop. Your life definitely doesn't have to stop. But you see, when, when I think of how relationships used to be or the, the attitude of people to relationships is very different from how it is now. So where people now seem to be very intolerant um, to certain behaviours and so forth before years ago people would accept things that young people now will not you know when people got married as I say back in the day um, they really did believe that it was till death was still part um, and sometimes it might have been where one had literally killed the other with, the, with bad <laughs> behaviour but it was really where people were going to 
hold on to that relationship. I'm not going to say that they were going to work at the relationship because there were people that lived together and didn't even speak to each other, didn't communicate, but they were going to stay together because that was expected, you know? Um, now people, they're not willing, and it may be quite rightly so, to put up with things um, indefinitely. What's your take on that? Well... I think I would probably, you know, I wouldn't want to sit on the fence as such, but I think what I would take from the older generation is the effort that's, that was made to keep something going. Um, so that, you know, sometimes decisions were made unselfishly. So it might be that, you know, more effort needs to be made to keep that relationship together so that the children wouldn't have to suffer a breakup or the commitments that the family have um, would still be able to continue and so forth. So certain sacrifices were made, which I have a level of admiration for. But I'm also admiring of the more modern approach where if it's broke, then you just can't fix it, you know? Um, and you're not going to just keep beating your head up against a brick wall to hold on to something that really isn't nothing worth holding on to yeah or where it's not going to go so i can see i can see a bit for you know a positive from from each generation let's say um it would be nice if you could get a balance um because younger the younger generation are really fairly intolerant in my opinion mm. um they are quite intolerant to a lot of things but that's maybe to do with the changes in society and, and technology you know, and technology exactly everything is very instant and so forth like that so if it's not working then you know i want to end it let's go on to another relationship and so forth like that so i don't know or that you can fickle. end it by text or whatsapp yeah things like that but that's that's technology right but so yeah so i mean there's, there's that there's that to look at as well so yeah you know i think i think there's positive from both for both generations um but going back to the 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 relationship thing and and the end the end of a relationship, I mean I I I know of people I know people not just even of people that are still holding on to a relationship that perhaps was finished many many years ago, but will not let go, yeah, and it it would be interesting if someone. If those same people were ill, if they would have the ability to hold on to life mm. in the same way that they would hold on to a relationship that no longer serves them. But do you think that's because sometimes people feel the relationship speaks to who they believe they are or what people perceive them to be? Perhaps, especially when it comes to like people in high status positions and... They don't want anything to change. They don't want to suddenly be faced with independence um, and having to do for themselves or having to change their circumstances. So, so perhaps, you know, some people really want to continue um, to project the image that they, that, you know, they have put forward so that people see them a certain way and they want to be they want to remain that way mm. at at any cost yeah 
at any cost and, and, and that to me is quite sad because then you may find that people like that are desperately unhappy. They're desperately unhappy, but they will not let go. They will not let go. Maybe they don't know how to find the happiness within themselves if they let it go. Maybe that's the maybe that's the fear. Well, this is it. But um, I, you know, recently, you, do you remember when we were speaking about um, Deepak Chopra and when he said, um, "Be the person that you want to attract." Yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of relationships and behavior, let's just even forget about attracting anyone because we might have already attract, we might have already attracted what we have in front of us. Um, but then what happens sometimes is that you've got the person and then you stop doing the things that you did to attract yes. them in the first instance. Yes. So now the pers- that person that thought you were a certain way because you were behaving a certain way to attract them, yes. wondering who it is that they're with now, because it's not the same person. And they may not even say anything about it. Maybe they're just pretty shocked that this, this isn't the person that they met. And then the relationship starts to break down, it starts to change and so forth. And, mm. and then, you know, nobody's acknowledging the reasons and nobody's communicating anything. So everybody's left in a little bit of a quandary and hence the beginning of the breakdown of the relationship. So the lesson in that to me is that when you be the person that you want to attract, you need to keep that up. You need to keep that up. Whatever it is that you do to be attractive to somebody means that it's something positive and it's something that should be maintained because when you give that up, what is it that you're going to go to? What are you going to go back to? You're going to go back to something that wasn't attracting what you wanted in the first place. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you've gone back to that, then now you've lost the attraction. And that, But you're still you're expecting that person that you're attracted to stay attracted to you, even though you have lost that light. But then for me, it seems like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I agree with, with, with where you're coming from on that. But I would place less focus on the attraction and more focus on the person themselves and where they're at. If you are, if you are what you want to attract, you will attract it anyway. Mm-hmm. But I th- don't think you should be doing it to, to attract. I think you should be doing it for yourself because mm-hmm. if and when or if or when a relationship comes to an end, it sh- you shouldn't lose that part of yourself because of the end of the relationship. But what I'm suggesting is that the relationship may have come to an end because when you made the effort to be something different, so let's say we're, we're who we are now right. and whatever that may be, yeah, that might be, you know, we might be shining our light now, yeah, or we may not be. And if we're not shining our light and we feel that there's more that we can do to shine that light and bring a level of focus to us and we start to do those things, surely that what we're doing is enhancing us anyway, right? Yeah. So if we do attract someone because of that shining light and the things that we're doing, we need to continue that because if we change that, if we stop shining the light and we stop doing those things that are positive, then the attraction will be lessened or lost. Yeah? 
And then we will end up going back to whatever we were before yeah. that wasn't attracting anyone. Mm. And that wasn't even enhancing, more to the point, that wasn't even enhancing ourselves. Because I'm not sure whether you might be thinking that I mean that you have to work really hard no, no, to no, attract no. something. I just meant it's, it's a level of focus. I, I wouldn't want to focus more on what I'm doing to attract somebody mm. than I would being just enhancing myself anyway right. because the right person would follow from that automatically precisely so then so then the thing to me would be maintaining and sustaining that wouldn't yeah. it you know um because if if it's said be the person that you want to attract that means that that's what you're supposed to be doing in your being yes that isn't I it agree. yeah i agree so 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 then then what what i'm what i'm thinking here then is that if it changes and you go back to what you were then you were you were only doing it to attract what yes, you thought you wanted correct. right and so <laughs> and then you think well, now you've got it now you can it's just it's, it's just like you know i don't know it's just like two people coming together every you know they go to first of all they go to the gym every day and everybody looks fabulous they look great and they're really healthy and so forth and they come together and then one or both of them now that they've you know connected don't, don't want to do it anymore because yeah. they're tired now they're actually only doing it in the first instance to <laughs> to, to kind of attract each other yeah. right and now now they, they just want to relax because they're now tired of running up and down to the gym so they become a couch potato and you know eat and drink and do whatever they want to do put on footer or four stone or whatever um so now they're a different person okay so it's very likely very possible that that person is going to lose interest or lose uh, the attraction yeah yeah the attraction they're going to lose that attraction towards the person so what then but then the the interesting thing is that the key thing is not about the person losing attraction towards you because you've now put on four stone the key thing for me is that you've put on four stone so now you're actually quite unhealthy so now you're not actually treating yourself well. So forget about the other person that, you know, that's lost interest in you now. But what I'm seeing is that you've actually lost interest in yourself. You've lost a caring about yourself right. and a concern for yourself. Right. And that will be translated to the other person that might still be on their little run. So that raises another good point, I think, in terms of when you... The way that you can cope with a lot of things mm -hmm. is if you are treating yourself well mm -hmm. in the first place, mm -hmm. um, then there isn't a need for you to suddenly start doing it when things turn bad. Don't it. You should be able to pick up where you left off because Correct. you're doing it anyway. Correct. And self-love is the most important thing you can have that would probably allow you to make it through most situations. And I think on that note, <laughs> self-love is the the key thing that I would want to hold on to in the conversation that we've had this evening. Thanks Natalie, yeah, I enjoyed thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> we meet again. More of the same very soon. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on OFCL's first podcast. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes and share us on social media and with your friends and family. Thank you for downloading and we'll see you again on the next one. Take care.